Welcome back to our growing experiment. We're here with Sean and Scott from Shop Good Day, an online platform that connects you with local farms and producers from coast to coast. So guys, you want to tell us a little bit about yourselves and your business? I'm uh, Scott Shanefelt. I uh, grew up um, just outside Pembroke, which is just outside Ottawa, in a small uh, village of Rankin, Ontario. And uh, grew up on a small beef farm. We had about 30 cows, a few sheep. And uh, yeah, that's just uh, met Sean and we developed this idea. And that's all about me, really. Yeah. Um, so my name's Sean. I'm from Mississauga. Me and Scott were actually university roommates, so that's how we met. And uh, yeah, just uh, living down in uh, Port Credit, Ontario. All right. And so uh, why was it you guys decided to get involved with trying to connect small scale or, or, or uh, local food producers with uh, customers? What was, what was the impetus to that? Sure. Um, well, when I was in university and I met Scott, um, I had never really had farm fresh produce, meat, anything like that. So um, really, Scott opened up my eyes to a whole lot of, of local culture. And um, well, during the pandemic, I remember walking into a grocery store, a lot of bare shelves and having a conversation later than that with Scott, where he was talking about direct sales. And we kind of had this collective aha moment where it was there's a marketplace um, where people can buy a farm direct food, but it's just, if you don't have that connection yourself, how do you connect people with farmers or producers of any sort of local grocery and kind of make a marketplace for people to find folks like Scott? Um, just basically connecting more Sean's with more Scott's. So, so yeah. So it was really, uh, meeting Scott and, and, uh, getting exposed to just a smaller scale, food production. So what was it about that in particular? Was it, was it, uh, the taste of it? Was it, uh, you, you like the, the farming style in particular and then, yeah. So if you could speak on that. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, yeah, no, and it, we kind of, we came up with a little marketing thing. It's farmers are a real life FAQ page. So if there's any questions that you have about anything, you know, if it's the produce or if you're talking about, you know, protein products, um, being able to ask those questions is super important, I found. But also, yeah, the quality of the product is, um, well, at least from my perspective, uh, much superior. So, um, yeah, plus you get to appreciate it more, have a conversation about the food, and um, you get to talk with a guy like Scott, which is always a great time. <laughs> All right, and so with uh, with the other the food producers that you guys have, where where is that connection established? I assume you guys must have, like, a good relationship with sort of the different farmers you have, being that you're very interested in their stories. You want to take this one, Scott? Yeah. So, um, like with our page, we are the connector, right? So we uh, we do connect with our farmers through um, the different Instagram stories we have on Thursdays and Fridays, and uh, we do have conversations with them um, as we progress. You know, because we are um, the connector, we can't really we don't really know how many sales actually go through the website kind of one of our beauties of, of the website we just we just want to be that connector so that the farmers and the produce and the consumer can um, work that out themselves so um, as we continue to grow and we want to create kind of more um, say marketing campaigns towards a certain demographic we get to know like what people are buying what are you noticing um, but as of right now you know we just we're just trying to attract as many people as we can to foster the same connection um, 
as I had to say a Sean or a lot of other people I met at university that just don't have that exposure to the small scale um, producer. Uh, it's a funny story tonight, actually. Um, I sold beef to a guy I met at the bank, and uh, he called me there just on the way home. He said, oh, I uh, put my truck in the ditch in my driveway. Can you come help me out? It's like that sort of thing we're trying to recreate again because there is a lack of the smaller scale producers um, now versus, say, 30, 40 years ago um, for whatever reason, like convenience, say, or just lack of interest, you know, prices of doing business is going up. Um, but, yeah, just fostering those small kind of town, small scale connections is uh, what we're kind of trying to foster here. Yeah, no, I, I really like that because that's that's a question we, we try to ask a lot of the time is, like, you know, how how do we maximize the sort of exposure to these these very valuable food producers? And, and we sort of see the small scale as being a strength. Just how you mentioned, like, you know, if you want to know something about this particular animal that you're going to eat, the fir- the person you're going to ask, especially a person who has a smaller, uh, like they, they have more attention to detail because they're not dealing with as much. They're not dealing with the scale, right? So mm-hmm. it kind of rehumanizes the interaction. And I kind of get the idea that that's, that's kind of what you guys are getting at as well. Yeah. yeah it's, well, uh... it's, it's definitely, it's more of a finite space when you're dealing with smaller, smaller operations and just like anything at a smaller scale, you're able to control more of the details or at least focus more on them. Um, so yeah, that's definitely a big thing that we try to highlight is just, um, you know, the small differences at the different sites or the different farms, um, really can give a big difference to flavor type of product, you know, different styles of agriculture, regenerative, uh, free range, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, you can really, you can see it more. It's a little bit more highlighted. Yeah, and, and that's an interesting point, too, because you kind of get access to different flavor, right? And because, like, uh, when we first really started out this podcast, we really focused on, like, people sort of local to the Sudbury area and, like, as close as possible as we could. I mean, because uh, Sudbury itself is fairly urban, like, I mean, I mean, there's farms in the area, but they're all the outskirts, right? And so we ended up having to talk to people sort of on the outsides. But anyways... The idea that we kind of come across was that there might be a certain kind of flavor to be discovered of, of Sudbury, right? Like, you know, we have a certain kind of soil and a certain kind of climate. And I kind of like that idea, right? And it's kind of cool because you kind of think there's a little more of a character to the food. And I, I think this isn't like a totally outrageous thing to say because take a look at champagne, right? Champagne is like that basic alcohol is made in other places, but there's only one champagne. Or, I mean, you know, that, like that's a specific designator. It's like how bourbon has to be corn whiskey made in the United States. Otherwise, it's just yeah. corn whiskey, right? There's a certain yeah. character. There's a certain thing. And I think that's kind of cool because it's a part of the food experience, right? Oh, for sure. Uh, that's kind yeah. of the other thing about our, like, a Canada-wide platform like we're trying to create. Let's say, you know, you're on vacation and say Muskoka, use that example. Um, say there's a beef farm that you pass every time you go to your cottage. Maybe you want to buy meat from there because it, it'll connect you to, you know, like you're saying, every place has a different flavor. Um, it's the same as uh, the one, I went on one wine tour in my life and I never forget the guy, um, who's the guy that serves you the wine? I'm having a blank, but um, he said like the temperature even affects the taste of the wine. And like every little thing like that, 
you can at least ask or experience it. Um, I know just thinking off the top of my head, the, uh, like some of the buzzwords, I always default to beef. And, um, I apologize to other producers out there just cause I'm a beef farmer, but like a, the beef farmer, um, like the no antibiotics, the grass fed, um, no hormones, like, you know, you get to experience say is grass fed better versus corn fed. Maybe you, maybe you like your beef to eat barley, maybe you like corn finished beef. Um, just like we want to give people the opportunity if they want to make those choices and just having a variety of producers, say you're an organic beef farmer, say you're a corn fed beef farmer, just have like a platform where you can connect with kind of your, what you're looking for. Um, kind of like that old saying, a rising tide lifts all ships kind of thing. If you get everyone in one place, it'll benefit everyone across the board rather than just marketing specific angles. Yeah. And the cool thing is too, is like you're, you're kind of creating a, a supermarket effect in a way that you're localizing all of the product, but it's different where like, you know, if you go to the supermarket, it's very likely that the meat you're getting there is from like one producer or a couple producers. Right. Whereas say you guys are maybe given access to a variety of different producers. Right. So you're getting a variety of flavor. Right. So it's like, you know, what does this steak taste like? Well, this year in this place has this kind of taste from this kind of a producer and to your wine analogy right if you get like one of those sommeliers where a person who can basically taste a wine and they can tell you what region of what country it came from and what year based on the character of that wine so there really is a character to the food and we're sort of divorced from that in a way because there's there must be like a, a certain time where you know you can't fault the supermarket for existing. Like, you know, for so long in human history, people have a hard time with access to food. You're like, Hey, we're going to put an abundance of food in one place. And you're like, wow, that's super convenient and awesome because now I can get all my food, but you lose that sort of character connection. Right. And, and that's, I don't know. That's something that we, we, I think that's what we love about the localism. And that's why we're kind of trying to do, uh, like talk to so many local people and talk to local providers and, and give attention to that because I feel like there is a character to that food too, right? Oh, for sure. It's, yeah, uh, there's kind of that uh, like five steps forward, ten steps or five steps backwards, ten steps forward. You're kind of you're kind of moving backwards in time a little bit, but by doing that, it's really I feel like that's kind of a it's a good model to look for in the future. Kind of taking more of a. Uh, um, not not a backwards approach to food, but yeah, kind of moving away from like kind of uh, what's kind of typical uh, with the supermarket purchasing. Just, uh, yeah, it's nice to see. Well, I think it's more like a, even just a self-reliance angle, right? Where, you know, if there is no food in the supermarket, where are you going to get your food? If you know the farmer a few uh, blocks down, then you could go and see him and purchase it from him, right? You don't have to rely on the super uh, the grocery store yeah yeah you get to meet new people uh yeah yeah like uh i was just gonna say um when you said that it kind of came to mind um when covid kind of hit there um we have purebred herefords at home and um the amount of people that even just was reaching out was like hey i'm looking to start a herd herefords are docile animals so like people looking to get a few cows they look up docile breed a cow hereford like I got, I sold three different uh, people, a couple heifer calves because they were like, oh, okay, we're going to start farming. We're just going to have a few cows and they got a property. And, you know, like that was kind of that self-reliance piece, I think resonated with a lot of people over the past two years. So 
I don't know. I'm kind of hoping that if the more people that are that kind of self-reliant type, the more people that will sell local food, it'll just kind of snowball from there. Yeah. And I, I think uh, especially sort of with like the exposure to COVID and uh, like the this disruption to supply chains that we were experiencing, shorter supply chains experience less disruption. Like you think about one of the, the main places that had a disruption, there was a big crossing, I think in Panama, and there was a big, uh, big uh, buildup of ships at different ports. And so when you have these huge access points that when they run perfectly efficiently, when everything runs great, they're like, it's almost magic. And then like something goes wrong and you're two weeks behind and like, then it causes huge, huge problems, right? If you have shorter chains, right? If you have more localized chains, you're you're able to have you're not as susceptible to these disruptions. And like they're, they're, it's it's sort of the the strength of sort of global economies versus sort of local economies. I mean, there's a balance and there's benefit to both, right? Like you don't want to be totally totally local because you're not you don't have access to sort of as wide a range of goods. But like your your sort of foundational basics, like say especially your food. You want to keep that as close as possible because, well, that's super essential, right? Yeah. Well, really, I think what we're trying to do is just give people the option. Um, like I said before, if I never met Scott, I would have never known. Like, I'm sure we've all passed by somebody on the road that was selling corn and you buy a bushel of corn. But I didn't really know how far local groceries could go and all the different things you could buy locally. So I think it's really introducing that concept to people that maybe grew up in a setting where, you know, like myself, I grew up in Mississauga. I, I don't have, I didn't have much exposure to agriculture growing up, or any. Um, so just kind of connecting people with, you know, the farmers that maybe they just would not meet in passing, or the producers, and then kind of sparking that idea of like this is a very viable option. I have a friend of mine, he lives downtown Toronto, and he buys fish off of a fish farm on our website, Spring Hills Fish, uh, probably once a month. So it's just kind of, you know. If they didn't kind of see that possibility, maybe that's not something they would have done. Um, but just kind of making that more of a reality for people and kind of introducing that concept and making it maybe a little less intimidating um, because, you know, people probably would be like, oh, that sounds like a great idea, but how am I going to meet somebody who's a you know a beef farmer or a vegetable farmer um, outside of a farmer's market? So it's just kind of opening up that the, the plethora of options when it comes down to grocery pur purchasing and, um, letting people know that, you know, outside of farmer's markets, there are other options to meet, you know, folks in agriculture or, you know, the, 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 the wine producer or the cheese producer kind of our saying is from produce to protein, wine to cheese, you'll find it on G'day. So what we're trying to do is just make like a widespread website that has like everything from beef to barley soup. <laughs> uh, so just to kind of give people that sort of uh, freedom of choice. So the way your website works, works is basically um i'm the person will go on there and put their location and then they see what's available near them yeah yeah it's super simple so just log on to shopgate.ca the first thing you're going to get greeted by is a search screen so um it's going to exactly just like you just said you're going to have what are you looking for essentially and where are you located so from there like let's say i was looking for you know just for my area beef near mississauga while you do a quick search, you'd immediately have a list that would populate and then a map. So then you'd say, okay, well, let's see what's around here. Fourth line cattle co is around here. Um, they're about 40 minutes away from me. Uh, you just go click on their profile and right there 
it gives producers a great chance to really highlight what's unique about their farm. So you can put videos on there, links to your social media, website. A lot of people have transactional websites um, and breakdowns and photos of your farm. Because the big thing when people start to look at different farms is they start to realize that not all farms are the same. They practice different things. They have different types of, uh, if, it's, if it's cattle, for example, Burfords, um, Simmentals, all wide different varieties. Um, and as people start to go and flip through that phone book, and I'll pronounce that wrong there, um, they're able to uh, kind of get a better idea of what the different things are um, and expose themselves to different agricultural practices and then make a decision, make a phone call or an email or buy something you know, off of the farmer's Shopify account in some cases. And uh, next thing you know, you're eating fresh local food. So I think it's kind of breaking down that um, myth that local is very far away and I kind of look at it the way that from my experiences, you're almost always 45 minutes away from a farm. Um, so with that being said, sometimes it's a bit of an investment to get there. Um, other case, cases are you spend a little bit of money and they offer free shipping. Um, but those options do exist. And we're really just trying to highlight that for people and make that like an obtainable, viable option for Canadians. Yeah, that's really cool. And that's, that's another thing, too, where because I'm from a small town, I a lot of times kind of forget about that, that bigger city kind of angle. Like I, yeah. I, don't, I don't think so much about like, uh, well, cause I don't know how, I don't have, I don't have that relation. Like I'm, I'm like, how do you get it into the city? I, this, the city has always been sort of a confusing place to me. Like, yeah. you know, like I never, ever got why you'd want to live in a city personally. <laughs> drives me nuts. I mean, yeah. I, like, I mean, I kind of get it in the way where there's lots going on. It's lots of energy, all that kind of thing. But, Maybe it's yeah. just because I grew up in a really small place. Like it's it's just it's too too much going on. Yeah, I'm with yeah. you, Jordan. I definitely see both sides of the coin. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's really good to get that exposure there too, because like especially too, where I feel like there's this uh, this huge emphasis on climate and stuff like that. When you really start thinking about like where where all of our sort of outputs are going, right? And you think about how much energy are we, say, using to move food around the world. Well, it's probably a lot less energy to move food locally as well, too, right? So it's kind of a, a double bonus in a way, right? And it's also good because if, if you're supporting a local farm, especially in Canada, you know that there's going to be at least a certain standard of practice, right? And you know that there's going to be at least a certain sort of um, compensation for the work that's being done, right? So yeah. what I'm getting at is, like, you know, you're 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 supporting someone who's making a living hopefully as a family all that kind of stuff right and that's that's also kind of part of what goes into what you're buying too and i mean these these huge food factories that exist i mean it's it's great that they exist in the way that they've sur supplied a lot of food to a lot of people i mean you don't want people to starve so that's obviously good but also you know it's 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 also kind of good to know that you can support a local family you can kind of keep your dollar local in a way that, that's a concept i really like is like uh, circulating a dollar in a community before it leaves because then sort of everyone gets to touch that same dollar and mm -hmm. in my way of thinking that uh i don't know it just it keeps a little bit more wealth in the community for a little bit longer which gives a little more opportunity to the community is my way yeah. of thinking so i, I think mm -hmm. that's really good and i think that's that's excellent uh, go ahead sorry I was oh, gonna say sure. there's just, a saying when you're saying that. I, oh, sorry, no. I just had a thought there. I worked with uh, when I was young, in high school. I worked with an old guy. And he said, uh, he said, if you want to fix the economy, just give the money to the farmers. 
give all the money to the farmers because they'll spend it in every different way. They got to buy fuel. They got to buy lumber. You know, they're going to need all your house amenities. Like you'll need in more, right? Because like say your water in the barn, whatever. Um, so that was his big thing. He always said, if you want to fix the economy, just give the money to the farmers. And that's kind of, you know, like you said, buying local food does exactly that because your farmers, they need everything and more, right? Um, kind of like local loonies go farther than, you know, foreign loonies, right? Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the main thing that stuck with me and kind of getting together and making this idea. It was like, you know, is it that crazy to think that if you go buy a far- food off a farmer, we all need food, you know, it's one way to like, you're supporting your community and you're getting a good product back. Right. It's like that win-win concept. Yeah. It's, it's the real investment in community. Like, like I, like, and that's, that's the other way I like to look at it too. I like, I like to look at it as an investment, right? Because I think in some ways for some people, it might be hard to justify the increased costs because when you're dealing with someone who's, who's local, they are, they are dealing with, because of their scale too, in a lot of, a lot of cases, they're dealing with higher costs, right? And so that higher cost to some degree does get passed on to the, the consumer. However, my investment way of looking at it is that I know that I'm helping provide uh, good food for my family, as well as like uh, a decent living for a farmer. Like it's, it's, that's an investment to me. And I know it's a local farmer and that's important to me because I don't know. I, I think the idea that we all live here in this country, Canada is pretty cool. And I think it's a good idea to support people who also live in this country. I don't know. I, I it just makes sense to me. Oh yeah. It's the same though. Like you're saying, um, like it does cost a little more in a lot of cases because of our standards of practice, because of like our cost of living and our way of living is all understandable but if you shift your buying habits around a little bit um like it won't be as expensive as you think so um this for beef again example um we sell a quarter of beef to you maybe you don't have the freezer room or maybe the dollars right up front right but okay i'll get together with five or six of my neighbors we could split that beef up like it is it can be um if you're not shopping the sales, stay at the supermarket because meat's on sale. It's probably on sale for a reason, right? Um, near the usually near the end of a shelf life, like a lot of products, right? Um, but say if you're buying beef, if you split that up, we kind of created this term called fractional fresh, trying to market that term out there to people. That's like, okay, I can buy a fraction of this stock for a fraction of the price, but I'm still supporting local. I'm still getting a good product. You know, the farmer's still getting paid. I'm getting a good product. It takes a little bit of organization to say split up that quarter of beef, but then it's kind of that kind of community connection piece all again, right? Yeah, we get together on a Sunday and watch the football game and split up our quarter of beef, right? It's uh, it's just kind of changing those habits, right, and kind of breaking down those barriers that there are other options out there. And you don't just have to go to the grocery store to get beef. You can, you know, bite off the farmer and do your own thing that way too. Yeah, and that's like what we try to do. So, like, uh, a thing that I was exposed to meeting uh, Sophia and her family was like, because they have this this huge emphasis on family. So even like getting your food is a family thing. So like, for example, all the wine that we drink throughout the year is wine that her father and her uncle go and get the grapes from from Toronto and then make. And then we bottle it all up and that's the family wine. And then like, so this weekend, Tio Andre, he goes and he gets potatoes from the local farmer. Hey, get us some potatoes while you go. And then say when we want to go get beef, we go and we talk to her parents and we'll talk to, say, her sister. 
and then the brother-in-law and say, hey, we're getting a cow. Are you guys interested? And then you divvy it up. You know, we'll get a half. They'll get a quarter each or whatever it is. Same thing when we go and buy a pig or whatever, right? And so that's that sort of fractional sort of, uh, uh, what was it? What was it you called it? Fractional, fractional fresh. It's like fractional fresh, exactly. Yeah. So we're all getting access to that that farm. And then we looked at this too. When we bought beef there last year, we got beef at four fifty a pound. And at the time, the cost of food was going right up through the roof. We also looked at it as an investment because we still have a ton of beef in our freezer right now. Like yeah. We still have a ton of food. And it's, it's sort of a different relation too where you like you buy it in bulk, you keep it, you store it up, right? It's, it's a different sort of food relation. And even how you said it's how you put your money in. So it's really paying attention to your finances when you're doing something like that because you're right, it is a big investment. So you just kind of prepare for that, but then you're not buying meat for months or even a year, depending how much you buy, right? No, for sure. Um, can I ask where you got your potatoes from up there? Is it Poulin? Is he in no. Chelmsford? Is it a big farm in Chelmsford? Uh, it's, Is Zilda or Chelmsford? I think it's somewhere between the valley and Chelmsford, so I'm not too sure. My, uh, my great aunt's brother has a farm up by Chelmsford. He does potatoes, so... That's where we get ours from. Could be the same guy. <laughs> what, what's the name of his farm? Well, that I don't know right now. Yeah. Top of my, head. <laughs> yeah, my uncle's been going to him for years, so that's why we get my uncle to just bring us potatoes whenever he goes. It's but the I same don't thing with potatoes, know. though, too. Like, if you think about it, you buy a 50-pound bag of potatoes off the farmer, saves you going to buy 10-pound, you know, 5, 10-pound bags. You're probably saving a bit more money. You might save a couple dollars, you know, but it's mm-hmm. that whole, like, local good food and you're not loving yeah, exactly. 10 pound bags of potatoes around doing groceries either right you have it at home yeah and potatoes are one of those things also that store really well and like a little renovation that we did to our house is we uh we built a cold room so basically we found like an exterior wall in our basement and we insulated it except for on the exterior wall and so the cold that comes in from the sort of that, that level below the ground there keeps all of the food in that area basically at a refrigerator temperature. So we have our potatoes in there, our garlic we harvested from the year. We keep our wine in there and all of our food, and it costs us zero energy. It's just passive energy, right? All we had to do was put up one wall and put a door in. And yeah. you're buying your potatoes 50 pounds at a time. You throw them down there. You just go and get them until there's no more, and then you buy another 50-pound bag. And that lasts you a pretty long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just, uh, I'll let Sean kind of answer this one, but uh, like in the same, if you're in Sean's case, you're in Mississauga in an apartment, okay? You can't really make that cold room. And that's where I always come in with the canning. Like if you go buy, say, a bushel of tomatoes and can them, like canning takes a bit of knowledge to learn, but it's really just, a, it's pretty simple if you kind of just do your homework and practice, right? Like I find canning vegetables and stuff has been kind of a thing of the past for some reason. Say you're in an apartment, you go buy a bushel of tomatoes, you can slide that under your bed. That's You could put a lot of tomatoes under your bed if you have to, right? But it's just like getting people's habits to change and like shifting kind of your focus, right? It's hard to change people's minds, but um, like there is a lot of other options out there um, that we just kind of want to get people talking about again. Yeah, that's one of the things we kind of aspire to is to harvest enough during the summer and preserve enough of it where we're basically just eating off food that we've grown all year. Yeah, that's a yeah, big thing so, too. Yeah, go ahead, sorry. sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I was just going to say like 
at home, like that's kind of how I was brought up. Like you harvest, you have your garden, you know, you freeze, like we got luxury of big deep freeze, right? So you just put everything in there. You're like beans, peas, um, kind of everything like that. And then, you know, we make the sauerkraut, we do the smoked sausage. It's kind of, you know, it's good to have those kind of skills, um, in your back pocket. And what we're like trying to do is kind of, again, like expose more people to those skills because they are out there. Um, I was listening to your, one of your podcasts, I think it was, I forget which one, but basically how, like, we got to get back to interconnected, right? Everything's can be interconnected, right? But it's just like, the more you're exposed to different things, the more chance for connection, right? Yeah, no, that's, that's certainly part of it. And that's, that's kind of what I think we, it, it's, it's kind of interesting that we, in, in some way we had the same sort of idea in a way. I mean, you guys went the way you guys went about it, obviously. I mean, and, and are really connecting people. We just sort of was, we, we had the same like question almost like, what are these people doing? How can we talk to them? How can we help a little bit? For us, we found it was kind of cool because it helped, it helped connect like uh, more producers to see what producers were doing and stuff like that. I think there were some other people that got some out of it, but it, it, I found in like talking to farmers, you, you learn about a lot of like pragmatic, practical ideas. Farmers don't really have a lot of time for like bullshit. <laughs> Like, I remember talking to, um, I'm blanking on his name now there, but the, we bought the cow off of there. Mark Seguin. Mark uh, Like, we're talking about, like, you know, this kind of cow versus this kind of cow, like grass-fed versus uh, corn-fed and this and that and the other thing. He's like, you want to say, like, it's grain-fed? He's like, well, grass, like, when it grows to maturity, it kind of has grain on it, you know what I mean? He's like, it's not really that different. He's like, I think it's kind of more in the taste or whatever. He's like, you know, I've eaten lots of cow in my life. I grow cow. It's, you know... I don't know. It, it's 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 a different way of kind of thinking. It's a little more practical. I I, I think it's like uh, I don't know. It all kind of goes together. I'm kind of rambling. <laughs> no, I think yeah, you're bang right. on though. Like that's what we're trying to foster again. Um, it's kind of like that experience, right? Like um, I find you know that old expression like you you always learn you learn something new every day, right? Um, you know, even like breeds of cattle might be interesting to some people. A lot of people think all oh, cows are the same, right? Well, actually, no, some breeds are this, some breeds are that. Um, it's the same as like your eggs, right? Like, um, you know, I, my brother is heavy into chickens. Um, and he has like all the different kinds of chickens, you know, you got your blue eggs, your white eggs, your brown eggs. Um, like someday we always talk like, you know, what if we put like the green olive eggs in the grocery store? How much money can we make off that dozen of eggs? Because the fact that people don't even know that it's just the shell is a different color, you know? It's like stuff like like the common stuff that we think is like second nature, other people have no clue, right? And that's where, um, you know, obviously our site's not for every farmer because every farmer doesn't want to be bothered by people asking questions. But I think once you're on our site, you're kind of, you want to be there for a reason, right? And you want to be able to, sell your product. So then you're going to do everything you can to sell your product. Right. So it's just like little stuff like that. Like maybe not quite as extreme as like brown cows have brown milk, but, um, like little stuff like that. Like a lot of people think is we're second nature, but other people have no clue. Right. And that's kind of what we're trying to bring back is like that world urban divide. Right. That's as you're saying that I've never heard of like blue eggs or like yeah. kind of olive eggs. 
Maybe, maybe because you pay more attention to that kind of stuff, but I never seen nothing like that before. I would think that's cool too. Yeah, it is cool. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like there's and then and then uh, when you were mentioning the different uh, the breeds of cattle, there was that one of the things that Sean mispronounced the name of there earlier was it was a breed yeah. of cattle. Yeah. Okay. What well, cattle was that? Right. You mispronounced? Sean, can you please help me. Right. <laughs> right. Semitals. Semitals. But Semitals? I just yeah. like when Sean gets on the farm kick there. Yeah, right. You see me get all fired up. It's like up. me trying to be like me trying to navigate myself in downtown Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> well, that yeah. might be an, an interesting inroad there because um we're we're considering now on, on uh looking at the next beef we're gonna buy. We we've had a Belgian blue. I can't remember what the first breed we had was. I so I wanna say start with an H maybe. Holstein? Bye. Holstein? I think it might have been a Holstein. Maybe I don't think so. No. Maybe. Okay. Well, at least if I heard the it, one, I the one I know, is. the one I know, we last had was a Belgian blue. That for sure. And so we're kind of like thinking about like, well, where do we want to get our next cow from? That kind of thing. So, what might be something for a person to consider in relation to sort of the breed of cattle? Um. So in my in my uh, experience, my uh, my grandparents actually owned an abattoir for. 40 years. Um, so I've seen a lot of different carcasses. My, uh, like my preference is like a British breed and the British breeds are usually Angus, Hereford and Shorthorn. Um, and then you got your, uh, like European breeds are like your Charlet, Semmental, um, limousine kind of, but I, uh, it was me, a nice British breed. That's grain finish. That's kind of my, uh, that's what I'm into. Okay. And so what would be sort of the distinction between those different kinds of cattle? Because that's even a distinction I've never heard before. I've heard a lot of the different breeds you mentioned, but I've never heard that distinction. So, I mean, obviously it's got something to do with where they come from, but uh, what, what, what more would distinguish it? Or is it, is it really just kind of a preference? Um, So like, it's like everything, right? Um, You know, not everything's going to be this, this is kind of like a generalization. Um, so usually like your British breeds, like your Hereford, Angus, Shorthorn, they'll, they're more hardier. Like they'll finish quicker, um, on, they'll finish a lot. They'll get fat quicker. Um, and your Charlet, Semmental, kind of like your European side, they're, uh, they're larger, larger built animal, more muscle, but they take more feed to finish. And then you also got like your Highlands in there. They're like very, very hardy. Um, they can finish quick too, but yeah, it's just you know, sometimes right now um, I'll go on a little uh, meat rant. So I'm a Hereford farmer and Herefords finish quicker, but they don't get um, as large. So you might get a 700 pound carcass versus say a Charlet that you can feed a little longer, get a 900 pound carcass. So right now with our calves um, in the Hereford industry, because they're not as big when we sell them at the sale barn, and the open market, they're going to get less money because when those calves go to the, say, the big feed packing plants, um, if you can only kill, say, 100 beef in a day, you want to maximize your profit, maximize your money, right? So all, that's the other kind of local piece, too. If you want, if you're going to eat a carcass that's like a steak off of a 1,000-pound side of beef, um, it's going to be a big honking steak, right? Where, you know, you get a smaller animal, you get a little smaller steak. It's kind of... Uh, that's kind of how the meat industry, in my mind, um, how we kind of are getting, as Hereford breeders, we're kind of getting the short end of the stick because our animals aren't 
don't get as big, right? But they also eat less, so it's kind of like catch twenty two. Yeah, well, it's you're, you're kind of pointing out sort of the that production uh, minded model, right? Where it's all it's all really just about like the poundage you're moving there. It's not really about what you're getting. It's just no, for bigger sure. animals, right? Yeah. So, I, like, I mean, and I don't know, like. I kind of like the idea of having different breeds and stuff like that, because as you were mentioning the different breeds and how long they finish and stuff, I was reminded of how when we were in Portugal, uh, I noticed a very distinctly different taste in their beef. And it was also because their meat practice was a little bit different. Um, they didn't uh, dry age nearly as much. It was all about fresh as possible. Um, so, and then, and then also this, there was a certain, I don't know, the, the taste of the beef was just different. It was very distinctly different. It's hard to describe. It was good, but it was it was not like any beef I've ever had here. A little more like local farms than it was, say, like our uh, grocery market beef, but it was uh, very distinctly different. And that might be in part because whatever sort of breed they're doing in Portugal, depending on what they're feeding it and all that kind of thing. So it's a little bit of that sort of character, right? Yeah. I know the big kick now is uh, Wagyu. It's kind of a big, uh, kind of a big trend you hear now. A lot of wagyu beef, um, but if you look look up a wagyu cow, and, um, tell me what you think. Like they're not the most nicest looking cow, but they have like a lot of marbling, right? Which is a lot of people like. Um, but yeah, that's just getting back to like what we're up to. Like that's one thing. Like think of all the different chicken breeds out there. My brother has like a bunch of different chicken breeds, and you know they all have their own little style to them too, and. Um, I don't know what it was like for whatever reason, the kind of rural, 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 urban divide, sorry. Um, it was always a thing, but now it seems like bigger than ever. Um, so like with our kind of model, you can kind of choose if you want to connect, um, with, with say a farmer or a producer, as opposed to going in, say to your meat department, finding a steak on a little styrofoam tray and thinking that's, that's all it is. Right. But in reality, we could talk about this for like days, right? Um, so many different angles to that tray of meat. <laughs> well, and I, I, you're mentioning that sort of rural and uh, city divide there in a way. And that's, that's something that does exist. Like I, I know, I don't know if you ever, ever were experienced to this, but uh, city, city people have a habit of uh, saying that people from rural areas are just dumb, which always fucking bothered me. Pardon, pardon my language, but it was one of those things that, like, uh, I just noticed people from, because I came from my small town, and there was Dryden, which was, like, a slightly bigger town, and they would always kind of say, like, oh, yeah, people from there, they're, you know, they don't know, they don't know what's going on, and then, like, I moved here, you see a little bit of that, too, with sort of, like, Sudbury proper and, like, the valley, and it's kind of like, ah, oh, they don't know what's going on out there, but, I mean, I mean, that's kind of a digression, but it's, it's, uh, you need both, right? Like the the rural people, I think, when you start to look at it, there's a wisdom in living in a rural area. It's a different way of living, but it's just as valid as, say, living in the city. The city's got your access. you got more things that are going on, but it's a different temperament, right? Like a person who lives in a place like, say, Toronto, they, they want stuff going, like, all the time right now. They want to go out. They want to eat in 10 different restaurants in, like, the course of a month, like, different places. They want to eat a whole plethora of food or whatever and you get like uh people who live in a rural area and they like to have they know everybody at basically every store they go to they 
they grew up there, they live there, that's where we'll stay, that kind of thing. But th- that's also where the food production is, right? Like you, because you need that land, right? So you, you're, it's good to have that bridging the gap again, where there there was a time where people were like leaving the rural areas to go to the city because that's where the opportunity was, and you kind of abandoned the sort of the old rural area and sort of looked at it like it was something you didn't need anymore or a sort of a bygone era kind of thing. And we're sort of rediscovering that there's actually a huge value value in these rural areas, especially with their connection to the sort of food aspect too, right? So, like, I don't know. Like, I kind of like that idea of thinking about, like, a sort of uh, rural connection to the city again because, at least for me, like, I always felt like there was a bit of antagonism there. But maybe that was just uh, my own experience kind of. Yeah, the one thing I'd throw in there is there's probably a lot of hybrids in the city well like people that don't necessarily have like myself like i grew up in mississauga since you know since i was born um but because i've had this experience now i've actually kind of opened up my eyes to a lot of different things so maybe there's a lot of people out there that necessarily um they want to learn they they'd be curious to learn um and it's not the fact that they you know they just don't have exposure to it um, so I think that that's a big piece right there is just, you know, giving people the chance to ask the questions um, that maybe outside of the Royal Winter Fair, if they venture down to the exhibition during that period, would be they wouldn't be able to ask. So I think that that's a big piece, too, is, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people um, that fit in the bubble that you're describing, but I'm sure there's a whole whack of people also that, you know, are curious, would love to have these conversations, would love to go by you know, the local lavender products off the local lavender farm. Um, but maybe they just don't have, maybe that idea has never been planted uh, to put things in a farming sense. And maybe just, yeah. the, you know what I mean, to, to have that. Yeah, uh, no, and I, I might have I kind of come across a little strong on that more than I meant to. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean to be so antagonistic about it. I just kind of got up in the moment when I was talking about it. But, yeah. Yeah. No, 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 of course, of course, it, there's, uh, I, I don't mean to say that all, all city people are like that, because, of course, you know, it's, it's a big area with lots of kind of people in there. And oh, there yeah, certainly is that. And exactly what, what, what you're doing and how you're doing what you're doing is proof of that, right? Yeah, just all about connecting people. <laughs> That's what we're all about. Yeah, no, of course, of course. Yeah. Where's the, yeah. where's the closest farm for you, Sean, being in Mississauga? Okay. Are we talking beef, produce? What are we thinking about for beef? I think we probably. All right, so let, let's yeah, let's let that gives us a couple of options. So, all right, Sean, you need to get some stuff for the groceries for the house. You need yep. uh, you need a little bit of beef, and you're gonna make uh, a nice little bit of salad and stuff for your guests. Where are you where are you going? So beef, I probably head to Fourth Line Cattle because that's like 45 minutes from my house. Um, I got some great produce off of a farm just outside of Oshawa. Now this isn't the closest farm, but it's the one I went to last. The name I'm blanking on. Um, but Matthew, I had a great conversation Matthew with Matthew Farms. Matthew Farms, yep. Matthew Farms. Um, in really um, great bang for your buck. Um, I can't tell you exactly how much produce I got, but it was more than I could have got at the supermarket for that time for the price I paid. Um, if I was looking for fish, I'd get Spring Hills Fish Farm. Over $90. It's free delivery to anybody pretty much in the GTA surrounding area. I don't know. I think they might actually deliver to the Valley now. Um, they do like a milk route. Um, but yeah, I think that like if, if really, if you want to, um, there's kind of an ad that we put together where it's just like, you know, it's like a farm in the middle and you've got, you know, different circles. It's just going to show you just how close, you know, you are in relation to these different things and how maybe 
you know, the countryside seems like a faraway place, but in reality, growing up in Mississauga, you've got Guelph, Milton, um, Kitchener, Waterloo, you're pretty much surrounded by a lot of farmland, Orangeville, um, where these farms do exist. It's just taking a little bit of time and going there, or alternatively, a lot of these places deliver. And uh, like I said before, they've got a little milk route, and they just go and drop off products in, you know, um, Stratford on this day, and then they go to Mississauga, Oakville, Burlington on this day, and they've developed their own little delivery system. So I think there's a variety of different ways to support local. It's just it's it's just being aware of those those options and utilizing them. Um, because yeah, like the first thing you think of is Mississauga. Where's the closest farm? And then you hop on G'day and you can kind of see, oh, it's actually not very far away and they have delivery over $100. And then suddenly these things start to click. Um, so yeah, it's just, uh, it's all about how malleable you want to be and kind of how flexible you are. <laughs> it's kind yeah, of shifting your priorities, right? Because you, if you're going downtown Toronto on a busy day, you're probably spending just as much time as going to a farm and getting your food, right? So that's yeah. kind of what you want to be doing. Oh, for sure. And like the, the Scott, the, the part, the part that Scott brought up before. Um, so like for the fish, for example, for like $105, you can get 10 pounds of trout. So that's actually a pretty good deal. Um, but the other thing, when it comes down to it, the whole fractional fresh concept, really what you're trying to do is maximize your buying power by spreading it amongst a bunch of different people. So if you're buying a full cow for $4,000, but you split that amongst five people, six people, suddenly that investment now has shrunk considerably and you're still maximizing the same savings that you would see from buying a full cow versus half a cow versus a quarter or an eighth. Um, so I think it's just kind of like educating yourself on that and, you know, becoming aware that, you know, you're able to, you know, you can have those sorts of deals with a farmer. You can't have those deals if you're walking up to the, the cashier at fill in the blank saying, hey, how's it going? Can I, if I buy a hundred steaks, can you guys give me 10% off? That won't happen. But when you're dealing with the actual producer of a product, that's when, you know, you can buy in bulk, make different deals, and, you know, sometimes uh, interesting things can happen. Just to uh, piggyback on Sean's point, um, I use this example a lot. So um, for whatever, like, reason, a lot of people that we encounter on social media's messages, it's just, uh, well, I don't have a vehicle. How do I go to the farm? Or I don't have time. How do I go to the farm? It's kind of one of those things, like you say, um, you know, the beauty of our model is so flexible. So, like, my cousins, uh, they live in Oromodonte, and their parents live next door to me. So when they're coming down to visit their parents, they say, oh, do you have a beef ready? He's like, yeah, sure. You want to eat the beef? Cool. So, like, they can buy beef from me three hours away. Obviously, they're family, so it connects. But, like, just that for an example, you know, say I got a brother in, say, Sudbury that farms. I'm going to visit him or her, you know. You could buy it from there and truck it back home. It's like that connection piece that um, is really a uh, what we're trying to expose people to. Because um, buying local is more than say getting in your car and physically driving to the farm or going to the farmers market. There's a lot of different other options that we want to um, promote for producers and consumers. Yeah, you have to get a little more creative sometimes with how you get your food, but it's it's usually there's there's usually an option. There's usually something that's it's it's within reason, right? There's something you can do. Like you, you pointed out a couple of options there. Someone's going that way or whatever, you know. Like I know uh so where I was from there, like I mentioned to you earlier, it was on Highway seventeen, we're up in northern Ontario. 
And um, my dad is from Newfoundland originally. And the odd time he'd want to ship something back home to his brother or whatever else, you find someone who's going that way or whatever, and you give him a couple of bucks, and he takes it with you, and there you go, it gets there. You don't always need to, you know, pay the Canada Post or do whatever. There's there's other ways of getting getting stuff around. Yeah, the cost Express. The too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the beauty, the beauty is too. It's like you know, say, uh, like you know, it's that whole trade system can be back. Like, say, I'm a farmer. You know, you're an electrician. I need my barn wired. Okay, cool. You want to wire my barn? I'll give you a quarter of beef. Done. Like just those simple connections. Um, that are seem to be getting less and lesser can be brought back like with the snap of a finger really. Um, but it's just getting people habits and exposed. It's kind of, uh, going to start somewhere, right? That's something we talk about lots is how to figure out how to build up a community and you're kind of saying everything, like things that we think about as well. And it's like, really, how do you build those connections? Right. Because for us, it seems evident that you really need to get everybody on board for it to work. So that's something we also think about is how to kind of get there. Well, I think at some level, it has to do with having like a shared value system, right? Like you have to you have to value some things over other things. And in this particular case, you're you're taking a certain value. Uh, you're, you're taking a certain value of one thing over another. Where you're having like, I want to support local because of these these several reasons right like that's what you want to do and so it, it's it's really a value judgment right it's and then what you're doing there like is exactly what they're doing there you you take the people that have that value there and you just you get them in touch with the people who have that other value and then they exchange value and i really like how you mentioned that idea of like the trading sort of labor in some ways for for food right where it's like yeah if you have an electrician and he can ha- he can go and wire up your barn for you why why not that's it's a perfect thing to do and you know especially if you know we're if things are going to keep getting more expensive you're going to have to rely on your neighbors more like that and i know back home that's how we do stuff too is like you know say you're building a garage or whatever you know you buy a few cases of beer you buy a whole bunch of food and stuff like that you bring your buddies over and you you build a garage that's that's kind of what you do right or like in in uh, portugal i know like a lot of the time sophia's family and the, the families in the area say they're harvesting. You go over and you harvest one person's food. They they cook up a big dinner. They have all the wine, all that kind of stuff. The next couple of days, you're over at someone else's, and you go around, and everyone's stuff all gets harvested. Everyone all gets fed, and you got a big community there. Those people, they do everything together. They work together, and that's and that's a big thing too. Is even that exchange work? There's there's a share in that. It's a shared experience, and that goes hand in hand with that shared value structure. Oh yeah, it's the all yeah, the no, experience we're... for sure is the the main takeaway. Um, but uh, I just wanted to mention, I see that your big globe in the back there. How's that working out for you guys? Are you growing stuff right now? No. Not right now. No, we we basically figured out that uh, we're putting stuff in there in late next March, month. next month. Yeah. Or no, we're no no we're starting seeds, seeds next, next month. month. We're putting stuff out there in March or April. The end of March, I think we could start. Yeah, I can't remember. We we had worked out the schedule there. We 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 know that we can grow basically into mid late November, and so that's what we're going to kind of do in the early stages. We figured out it's cool enough where we can start kind of cold hardy stuff in there. We don't have to worry about the frost, 
and we can get a quick harvest out of stuff like that. Like, I think we wanted to do spinach, kale, broccoli. Yeah, we wanted to do some of that and then pull that out. And then we're putting in a bunch of tomatoes and peppers. And because uh, it gets fairly hot in there in the summertime. And then, uh, then I think that's, that's, that's it, yeah, yeah, we're growing that right till the end. Because we had tomatoes in there right till November. We, we were harvesting tomatoes out of there in November. So yeah, it just it just gives us a longer season, and then uh, the the other garden beds we have in the yard, we basically we're dedicating more to like say onions, garlic, and potatoes and stuff like that now, more of our kind of staple things. And then uh, yeah, our tomatoes, and then we doing cucumbers this year? No way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we're doing like uh, like salad cucumbers, like market more and stuff like that. Yeah, we didn't do any pickling ones. No. Yeah. Yeah, that that's the kind of thing too that we're trying to do too we're uh trying to learn like how to sort of plan for what we need and what we want and because you have to plan the kind of the whole year like we got to plan for when we're going to harvest we got to make sure like for example my uh we have to go to my sister's wedding there this year and it happens to fall in september and september's a really busy time when you're trying to harvest food and grow food and stuff like that so you know so you got to plan your whole kind of year out but that, that dome, anyways, it, it gives us a little more uh, growing season, a little more flexibility with that. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's I really like it. I think, I think it's, like, it's great because it like utilizes a lot of sort of passive energy principles. Like, it just kind of uh, maximizes the heat. Like, even even in the lately, like, it doesn't really get that cold in there. Like, I think it gets, I mean, we, have, we don't have no heat in there, but it gets, like, the minus five in there. And I haven't then, even seen minus five. I think minus three is the coldest I've seen. I might have seen my. I think I seen minus five one morning, but then it'll get up to like eleven, twelve degrees in there during the day. Yeah, nice. Wow. Well, that's the other thing too. We encounter it's yeah. like, and sometimes um, it'll be like well, you know minus twelve outside. Yeah, that's the other thing we encounter too. Is ahead, uh, a lot of people will say uh, something like, "Well, I'd like to buy local tomatoes, but I can't because of Canadian winters." It's like you know like you guys are doing there, there is a lot of, there is options, you know, especially nowadays, like that seems options are endless. Um, but it's just like, let's say all of a sudden this big local push comes in, maybe there's people with greenhouses start popping up and can start selling vegetables later in the year or earlier in the year. Right. Um, that's the thing too. Like that's, I think I always, I tried to like look at your page there, seen some pictures. I was always wondering how that, um, was turning out for you. Yeah, with our experience last year, it was just too cold for it to just be passive heating. We had to add heat, and we don't really have a good system costs, figured yeah. out right now, so we decided to just kind of let it freeze over uh, for a couple months and then just start early with things that will last in the cold, and then like that we're not going to uh, risk our tomatoes and peppers like we did last year. And really, if we put them in, let's say, May, June – and they're going till November, like, that's pretty good. Yeah, because then you can just do, like, say, indeterminants versus doing determinants, and you can kind of maximize your yield that way by extending your season. Because there was even someone we knew in the area had a greenhouse, and they were harvesting well into December. I mean, yeah. mind you, they had heat in the greenhouse. They might have had uh, – they probably had additional light. Because that's the other problem. The other consideration is really just the light. Because I think, like, in our backyard, realistically, with the way that the sun is kind of going over the horizon, you might only get, like, five hours of sunlight. And 
between five and eight hours of sunlight makes a huge difference in the variance of the temperature you're going to get because you think about how much how much time you're getting that sun focusing that that energy in there, right? Yeah, for sure. I think it's awesome. But and then even to your point too about the local tomatoes. Tomatoes, thankfully, are a thing that are pretty easy to grow. So even if you have, say, an apartment. If you have a balcony or something like that, like maybe if you have an apartment, it's a little harder. You might have to get a grow light or something like that. But if you have an apartment with a balcony, especially if it's a say Easter face east facing, let's say, you can grow a tomato plant on your balcony, no problem. They don't they don't take up that much space. And then you know, like a cherry tomato plant for an apartment, you probably got cherry tomatoes uh, for most of your salad most of the time during the summer. During the summer, of course, of course. But that also calls into question, you know, do you want to eat seasonally, right? Because for a long time, it wasn't the case that you could eat an avocado in February. And maybe it's not a practical thing to eat an avocado in February. Maybe it's that's when you eat, you know, like you mentioned having sauerkraut and potatoes and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's when you eat that kind of stuff, which is more to the area because it's more to the climate of the area. Yeah, for sure. I think even like, yeah, like the whole seasonal eating thing, I like... Uh, some people think I'm crazy too when I say this, but like your seasonal eating and climate change could go hand in hand, you know, it's like this land here, you're supposed to eat this at this time, you know, like for us, uh, the mud pout, the bar butts, they bite at in usually around May long weekend, a little before that's when we go fishing for them. Right. So you have your snack of mud pout then, or like your fiddleheads pop up, you go have a snack of fiddleheads. Um, you know, it's just nice to have that seasonal, taste too right and if you think that on a large scale link that back to your environmental problems and climate change you know i think that could go hand in hand again too yeah no that's i i think that's exactly it may it makes sense to me like uh i i don't see how uh like the localism just it just makes sense to me if that if that's going to be what people are concerned about if they're concerned about really having an effect on the environment the closer you are to the environment and the the more attention you're paying to it, which I think happens when you have local food production, the the more responsible you can be with the custodianship. It, I think it's just there's a whole bunch of things that line up there right because the farmer's invested in taking care of the animals and taking care of the land, and it's on a small scale. They're, they're dealing with these animals all the time. It's I don't know. There, there, there's something intrinsically more human about the whole interaction, and I can't help but think there's a higher standard of care, and I can't but help think it's just, it's just better. Like it's just to me, it makes more sense. I feel I feel a lot better about where I get my beef than I do if I buy it from the grocery store. I, I unfortunately the the way that like food is produced on mass and a lot of these big scales is, is not great for the animals. And I know a lot of the farms that I've been to where I see the animals and the way that they live, it looks like a pretty pleasant experience to me. And, and as the farmers say, they have one bad day. And it's really, it's not even really a bad day, just all of a sudden the lights go out. And then he ends up on my plate. And I, I, I feel like that's probably, as far as that interaction is going to go, that's the best case scenario. You know, I, I feel good about that. I know, I know the animal had a good life because I, I can go to the farm and see the animal right there that's a huge thing too like just being able to see what you eat um like i remember the one ad we run is like um don't you think you know don't you think it's time to know where your food comes from it's like sounds so basic 
But if you open up the can of worms, you can have like, again, like a whole three hour discussion on the topic, right? But most of the time, a lot of people just overlook that simple fact, right? Um, where did your food come from today? Oh, I don't know. How many uh, gallons of diesel was burnt getting that food to your plate? I don't know. Like it's um, simple questions like that. I think that um, I always have this conversation with my, with my dad too. I'm like, you know, you guys had a lucky, you got your fast cars, you know, you got your good music, your heavy metal, your rock music. It was, everyone was loving everybody. You know, now we got to talk about like climate change and sustainability and all that stuff. It's like, you know, it's a part of your everyday life now. And I think as more people kind of think like, kind of our mindset that's like, okay, is this ethical? Um, what actually goes into this product? I think that's when your kind of localism kind of gets looped back in. And it's like, okay, I'm going to buy food directly from where it was made as opposed to getting it shipped over here, over there, um, getting stocked on a shelf and then coming to me, right? Um, yeah, I think um, what you guys are doing are great too, like just showcasing local producers um, on podcasts. I know podcasts is kind of, I think this is our second podcast now, third. Um, just the more people can be exposed and aware to stuff, um, I think it's awesome. Yeah, you want to get that information out as much as possible. And it's it's kind of funny how you said that, too, because um, I always remember, like, if you deal with a lot of old guys, you always hear, like, you kids, you don't know, and all this kind of stuff. And you're kind of, like, you kind of illustrated almost going the other way in a sense where it's like, Oh yeah, you guys had your fast cars and your rock music, and it was all a big party. Now look, now we're here to we're here to be responsible. Now the yeah. adults are come home, and you kids had a party the whole weekend. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna clean yeah. up this mess. It's a good way to look at it. <laughs> Especially, I, like, I was just kind of struck by that image. Just just the way you said that reminded me of kind of like how an old person would say to a young person. Like, oh, yeah, it's all just party all the time. Actually, I'm thinking of uh, Red Foreman from that 70s show. He comes home, he catches Eric misbehave, and he says, it's all just sex, 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 and rock and roll. <laughs> and I'm just kind of thinking, like, I don't know. I thought that was funny. <laughs> I think there's a remake of that out there. I'll have to watch. That 90s show would just come on there. I think it's the uh, – it's Eric's, Eric's kids. I don't know. I'm – I'm guessing he ended up with Donna. I don't know yet. We'd have we'd have to go and see, I guess. But yeah, I think it's it's the next generation is the idea. So you talk about uh, farmers and producers. So is it just farming, or is it uh, other kind of products on your website? Uh, we got a little bit of everything. So yeah, like we mentioned before, produce to protein, wine to cheese. We've got beef on there. We've got a lavender farm or two lavender farms now that actually make, you know, lavender products that grow lavender on the farm. And then they turn that into skincare products. Um, wineries, pretty sure we have a guy that sells um, mead. So there's a lot of different things on G'day. So really what we're trying to do is we're just trying to make it um, local groceries. So local groceries can be beef, local groceries can be craft beer. It's kind of how you approach it. Um, so we're just trying to make it so that it's easy for people to go find, you know, what they're looking for um, locally and then just, you know, have a framework that really is easy for people to connect with each other because I think that's the biggest hurdle is it kind of sounds really complicated <laughs> when you're like, okay, well, we're going to buy local products off of a local farmer. And most people, their only interaction with buying local, like products is through a farmer's market. So it's just kind of 
showing people that, you know, um, you might not have to wake up at six o'clock or eight o'clock on a Saturday to make it to buy the local food. There are other options outside of that. And then just kind of bringing everyone together to, to, uh, to make that happen. But yeah, there's a lot of different stuff on the website, um, outside of just, you know, corn, beef, uh, uh, fish, that kind of stuff as well. I will say our one exception is, uh, Topsy farms and they're down by Amherst Island. Um, they uh, spin their own wool They make like blankets and stuff. They have a bunch of sheep. So um, basically, like anything that could be made and produced on the farm, that's kind of what we're after. Or made and produced. I always default to farm, but you've got to get and have the same producers because, you know, you're not really a wool farmer. I guess you could be. Beer yeah, farmer. well, yeah, producer is probably the right word. Um, but, yeah, it, it's it, it sounds like you guys are, are providing a lot of access a lot of producers to a lot of places in the market and, and the and the the real point i was getting there too is uh that's that's the strength there is you're bringing the farmer's markets to people's front door in a sense right and not their front door in the sense of their front door but right on their phone or on their app and you're you're showing them that they can have access to that kind of thing and so, yeah, so thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today and so if people want to find out where their local producers are and they want to utilize your service, what would be the best way about going about that? They got a few different ways. Um, so they could follow us. Well, just information wise, um, we're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, all the handles are at shop today. Um, and then they can head over to shop and look for local producer, producers in the area. And if there's any questions, usually one of us is, uh, behind the messenger chat box on the website. So um, if anybody has any troubles or questions, just let us know. All right, perfect. Thank you guys very much. Awesome. Thanks Thank for you very us. much. Thanks.